a new true crime podcast from the team behind Up and Vanished. In 2016, adventurer Justin Alexander was invited on a trek by an Indian holy man. They headed to a spiritual ground in the Himalayan mountains, a place beyond civilization. The holy man returned and said nothing, but Justin was never seen again. What happened to him? Dive into our investigation in Status Untraced. Available now. Listen for free on Spotify. Today is Tuesday, September 17th, 2019. On this day in 2009, police arrested Yale laboratory technician Raymond J. Clark III. He was charged with the murder of doctoral student Annie Lay. Lay's body had been found four days earlier, the day she was supposed to be married. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. Every day, we flip back the calendar to this date years ago and recount one event from true crime history. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today we're going back to September 17, 2009, when Raymond J. Clark III was arrested for the murder of Yale doctoral student Annie Lay. Due to the violent nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and sexual assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Before we unpack the dramatic impact this incident had on the Yale community, let's go back to the morning of September 17th, as the suspect hides out in a motel in Connecticut. Raymond Clark III could not sleep. Neither could his father. The two of them sat on their motel beds, not talking to each other. They had tried to fill the silence with the motel television, but that felt wrong, so they shut it off. The subtle buzz of the neon sign seeped in through the open window. Raymond told himself that it was all right, that everything would be back to normal soon. But he didn't really believe it. He peeked out the window. There were only a handful of cars in the lot. In the semi-darkness, he couldn't tell if any had people in them. He was sure they were being tailed. He could have sworn he saw a car following them as they drove the 30 miles from New Haven to Cromwell. Over the last few days, the police had interviewed him and taken various DNA samples. He idly wondered if his saliva was still processing in a police laboratory somewhere. Nights were the worst. All he wanted was to slip into unconsciousness and forget about his problems. No such luck. At around 7.30 a.m., he lay down and attempted to calm his unsettled mind. But when he tried to turn his thoughts to something more pleasant, he just found himself back in the Yale laboratory. His job had been to care for the mice, rats, rabbits, and other animals kept there for testing. Over time, he had grown to ignore their pleading eyes and dejected squeaks for mercy. But in his imagination, he no longer could. They stared out of their cages at him unblinkingly. They were waiting, 
waiting for PhD students to inject them with some unknown medicine, waiting without knowing what horrible death was in store for them at the end of a needle. This motel room was now his cage. He had never felt so much empathy with the rats as he had while waiting in room 214 of this Super 8, waiting to be removed. The sound of the door flying open shocked Raymond out of his daze. Police filled the frame, shouting at both him and his father. He put his hands over his head, heart pounding in his ears. He knew this was coming, but that knowledge did not make the event any less harrowing. The police instructed him to go up against the wall and spread his legs. He did as he was told. Even if he tried to run now, he would not get far. This was his punishment. This was what he had been waiting for. He tried not to think of Annie during the drive back to New Haven. He tried not to think of anything, hoping his mind would go blank. Again, it didn't work. As the police car rolled back to New Haven, Raymond Clark III hoped that whatever fate was in store for him was less painful than that of the rats. When we return, we'll discuss the circumstances surrounding this Ivy League murder. Now, back to the story. On September 17, 2009, Raymond Clark III was arrested for the murder of 24-year-old doctoral student Annie Lay. Annie's story was a media sensation the moment word of her disappearance hit the papers. This was almost entirely due to timing. The academic star and future doctor was mere days away from getting married when she disappeared into thin air. In February of that year, she had written an article for the Yale Medical School's Bee magazine. It was entitled, Crime and Safety in New Haven, and mostly concerned itself with campus security. In this article, she cited Yale University Police's six methods to keep students safe from harmful encounters. It included such advice as paying attention to where you are, avoid portraying yourself as a potential victim, and walking with a purpose. She was likely observing these methods herself as she walked to her lab one fateful day in September. That day, September 8, 2009, Annie Lay was seen going into one of Yale's labs by a security camera. She was never seen going out. Her disappearance sparked wild interest from the college, who put up a $10,000 reward to anyone who could locate the missing student. In the week following her disappearance, law enforcement swarmed the Yale lab on Amistad Street, looking for any clue as to her whereabouts. On Saturday, September 12th, they found bloody clothes hidden behind a ceiling tile. Then, on Sunday, September 13th, they found her body behind a utility panel in the basement. She had been strangled to death, her collarbone and jaw broken. The media coverage surrounding Annie Lay's murder was intense and controversial. 
During the frenzy after discovering Lay's body, reporters swarmed the police station daily looking for updates. In the confusion, an NBC News producer was trampled and injured by fellow reporters clamoring for new details. Many critics have argued that Annie Lay's position as an Ivy League student meant that her murder received disproportionate attention compared to other murders in the area. Four days later, police arrested Raymond Clark III, an animal technician at the lab, for the murder. According to the official police statement, his DNA matched crime scene evidence, though they did not elaborate what that meant. The 24-year-old Clark was silent on the matter. Two years later, after a tense legal battle, Clark was sentenced to 44 years in prison for murder and 20 for felony sexual assault. He pleaded guilty to the murder charge, but did not admit to sexual assault. According to prosecutors, his semen was found on Annie Lay's panty liner, and her bra was pushed up on her body. To them, this created a clear picture of what had happened. After he was sentenced, Clark finally broke his silence, saying he took full responsibility for his actions. He said, I alone am responsible for the death of Annie Lay and causing tremendous pain to all who loved and cared for Annie. I took a life and continued to lie about it while Annie's friends, family, and fiance sat and waited. I never really wanted to harm anyone or cause emotional pain to anyone. All I wanted was to be a good son, a good brother, and a good fiancé. But again, I failed. Even though he claimed to take responsibility for what he had done, there was a crucial piece of information missing from Clark's statement, his motive. The reason for his crime remains a subject of debate. During the hearing, Clark gave no indication that he and Annie Lay were more than casual acquaintances. This crime remains one of the most notable and horrific on-campus crimes in Yale's storied history. Lay's death shocked New Haven, and various news publications circulated the campus safety article she had written for B Magazine six months before her death. The tips she listed within made for darkly ironic reading after what happened to her. Every piece of advice in the article was intended to protect Yale students against threats from robbers and other outsider crimes. But there's only so much you can do to protect against your own peers. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. For more stories like this, check out the ParCast original, Unsolved Murders. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. 
At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, and production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Liebeskind. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Travis Clark. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Robert Teamstra. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 